please welcome to the whiteboard, founder and CEO of CrossFit, Coach Greg Glassman. How is everybody? Good. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. I've got kind of a hybrid offering here. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but uh, we kind of develop new material by inserting it in, you know, rev it and work it in front of you. Um, I think what I've got to show you here today, I think it's important. I came here to share it with you, believing it is very important. So uh, let's just dive into this. Any questions? <laughs> Nothing? All right. Um, if you were to take, don't get scared, an X and a Y axis, okay? And if we were to put on here power, and we were to put on this axis duration of effort, and if we were to take something of some duration, I don't care, 10 seconds, 30, make it short, and you were to find a couple of tests you could do and mark it for, for power, some number of foot-pounds per minute. Okay, And that's not a hard thing to do. You're just squatting. With each squat, with each rep, your center of mass, and it sits somewhere between your umbilicus and your pubic bone, it travels some vertical distance up and down. Okay, And it's neat because, whether, you know, suppose you said, yeah, somewhere between my belly button and my pubic bone, like right here, right? Well, in the squat, it travels the same amount of distance. So it's, it's kind of easy to figure what the displacement is of your center of mass. Because for a lot of our activities, the, the direction of travel is straight up and down. So I can resolve it into foot-pounds per minute, and I can do that at some other distance and some other distance and, or, or duration and I can find these points and I can graph it and I'll get some kind of curve like that. And this is, this is power graphed against time and what you end up with in here is work capacity. Interestingly enough and I now have a two-dimensional model a, sol a, a an, an area that is representative of your fitness and in fact we called this fitness. Now over the next day or so Austin and others are gonna kinda back up here and talk about some of the other things that got us to this point. Um, uh, the hopper model, the 10 general skills, that kinda thing, but we'll come, we'll come back to that. That's important. But here's where it ends up. Here's the, here was the punchline fitness. And what this was is, is the world's first scientific definition of fitness that is amenable to accurate and precise estimation. World's, hi, how are you? <laughs> um, world's first definition of fitness amenable to accurate and precise estimation. It's really important. Accuracy and precision. We have accuracy when we're close to the bullseye. And in fact, this is pretty accurate, it kind of goes all around, but it averages there. That's reasonably accurate. Um, this, this has uh, uh, precision, but no accuracy if that's the target, right? So the precision is kind of, you, you get the same result over again 
or it clusters closely. Inaccuracy is your proximity to the desired target. We have both well, something amenable to, to accurate and precise estimation here, and that was really, really important. Another thing happened along the way, and that is there was an observation that you could make a continuum from values that were sick to well to fit. And any health metric that you could, that you could think of sits where there is some value that is well or normal that sits in between a sick and a fit value. Let's look at it. If your HDLs, that's your good cholesterol, if they're lower than 35, you got a problem. Uh, 50 would be nice, 75 better yet. Triglycerides, 400, you're sick. 120 is better, 75 is better yet. Blood pressure. Let's just write down the things that follow this pattern. I won't have to give you examples of all. Blood pressure, uh, triglycerides I mentioned. Uh, what else? Body fat, muscle mass, uh, bone density. What else? Things. I'm just pulling some up. I'm going to pick one A1C, glycosylated hemoglobin. Gives us a measure of what your average blood sugar was over the past 90 days. It's cool because you don't have to do the fasting blood glucose bit. It's a cool test. What do I have here? Seven pieces. A1C, as you become fitter, is going to go down. That's good. Bone density is going to go up. That's good. Muscle mass is going to go up. That's good. Body fat is going to go down. That's good. Triglycerides are going to go down, that's good. Blood pressure is going to go down, that's good. HDLs are going to go up, that's good. Now there's another element to here that's really important. So we've defined this, this fitness as work capacity, kind of jumping back here, measured across broad time and modal domains. It's kind of a mouthful, but it's really very simple. Work capacity, you saw it here. How far did it move, what did it weigh, and how long did it take? Okay? Measured across broad time, that means of short duration and long duration. And modal, doing a whole bunch of different things. Domains, we're doing this on the x-axis. Work capacity measured across broad time and modal domains. And let me share something with you. You're going to learn in the nutrition lecture that we favor a diet that's comprised of meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. Whether it's zone or paleo or whatever you're doing, they're all very, very similar. We employed that diet because what? Because it increases work capacity across broad time and modal domains. It will also elevate your work capacity. In fact, I don't know of an adaptation to nutrition that's unique to nutrition. I don't know of a ad positive adaptation exercise that isn't also a feature of eating right. I can get you to eat right and make all these things happen. You can eat wrong and I can introduce exercise into your life and make all these things happen. Together, it's a, it's, it's a tremendous force. Most of you sitting here already know that. All right? So we have our meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, overlaid against constantly varied high intensity functional movement, the CrossFit prescription. You're going to hear all of that in greater detail. 
And what happens is that as you move from wherever you start here, under this stressor, what we find is the direction is always in this direction. Now I want to talk to you, but I said I don't know of a metric that doesn't sit like this, where the values we find for, for people that are well sit in between those that are sick, so those that are sick and those that are, that are fit. I don't know of an exception. And what this means to su should suggest is that fitness is a hedge against being sick because if you're fit, you're going to have measures that will have to get well before you can get sick, right? You with me on that? If your blood pressure is 105 over 50 and you stop working out and you start eating shitty, pretty soon you're going to have normal blood pressure. And that should scare you because pretty soon it's going to do this. And now I got a problem. Same thing with body fat. If you're 5%, if you're it's pretty cool. Take a vacation, start being a sloth, and you get to 25%. Now you're, you're healthy, right? Well, pretty soon we're going to be sick. You see this? It's easy. It's a hedge against being sick. Now, the things that, that follow here, and these are representative. And I can name others, lots of others. But I want to point out, there's something really significant about these. Why is your doctor interested in these things? What makes her want to know what your HDLs, your blood pressure, your triglycerides, <coughs> body fat, bone density, glycotin? They're, they're all things that get worse as you get sicker. Yeah, and what kind of sickness in particular? Chronic disease, yeah, you're right, you're exactly right. There's the right answer, and that's even in the broader sense. It's called chronic disease. Check this out. These are the symptoms of all the chronic diseases, and it's very likely that if you have any chronic disease, that you have deranged markers. I would expect if you had Alzheimer's to see your HDL suppressed, your blood pressure up, your triglycerides up, your body fat up, your muscle mass down, your bone density down, your A1C high. Same with diabetes. Same with most cancers. We used to say some cancers. We, us. <laughs> Meaning me now, most cancers. It's going to turn out that 95% of the PET positive cancers, that means positive emission tomography cancers, that 95% of the PET positive cancers is going to end up being chronic disease. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. And that's 95% of cancers. So it's 100%, it's I'm sorry, 100% of the PET positive are going to be chronic disease, and that represents 95% of cancers. Now what's interesting about chronic disease is that medicine has no effective treatment. It's symptomatic only. So I give you a drug to bring your cholesterol down, I give you a Fosamax to get your bone density up. We might do bariatric surgery if you, if you have persistent weight loss issues, weight gain issues, morbid obesity. If you have paved over arteries, coronary arteries, we can do bypass surgery. You become glucose intolerant and I'll put you on insulin. But all of these are, all of these are, are, are not fixes. They're masking the problem. Sometimes it's necessary to do. If you have persistent malignant hypertension, you should take a an antihypertensive if you can't get it down otherwise. But how would you get it down otherwise? Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. 
I want you to know something about chronic disease. Medicine has no effective treatment for it. And it is crushing the medical system. And the doctors are ripping their hair out. And they can't figure it out. We had the director of, uh, of uh, chronic disease and uh, diabetes care, ex of the Mayo Clinic, come approach us because he said, you guys have the answer. And he wanted me to come here and tell you that we have the answer. That diet and exercise are the only thing that has a positive impact on, and is at the root cause of what's going on with chronic disease. So what I'm going to tell you is that the CrossFit stimulus, which is meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, our paleo-like eating, coupled with our constantly varied high-intensity functional movement, <coughs> excuse me, the workouts you know well, that that is the independent variable, that stimulus is the independent variable that is driving the dependent variables that are all of the symptoms of chronic disease. So what that means is what you're learning here this weekend is how to get a pass on chronic disease for yourself, your mates, your kids, your friends, your family. Some of you may be even so lucky as to be able to have some positive impact on your parents. Most of you never will. That's hard to do. Mom won't listen, neither will dad, right? Anyone here train their parents? Good on you. That's really cool when you can do it. Anyone else tried to? Yeah. <laughs> My mom sat on a rower and gave it like three pulls. And she goes, how long do I have to do this? And I go, well, you've, you've gone 12 seconds. She goes, it hasn't been 12 seconds. She's like arguing with me, right? It's 13, 14. You're right. It's been 16 seconds now. Chronic disease. What impact does it have on us? What percentage of deaths worldwide? Wrong. What percentage of deaths are attributable to chronic disease? No. That's closer than, than, than hundreds of thousands. It's 70%. 70% of the people in the United States that died last year of the 2.3 million, 1.87 died from chronic disease. And the number's rising, it's rising rapidly, the percent number is. And when we finally add the positive cancers in here, I figure the number might look like 80 or 85% ultimately. 70% of the people that die, die from chronic disease around the world. Medicine has no solution. You do. That's really cool, right? Now let's talk about the other things. What about the 30%? What are they dying of? in part. I've got a general category for it, and it's just accidents. Unfortunate shit, right? And there's four types of accidents, and we couldn't come up with another. The ICS, genetic, toxic, kinetic, and microbic. Getting cut in two, meteor hits you, hit by a car on your bike, all that stuff, right? Toxic, you've been poisoned. Radon, lead poisoning, baby eating the paint chips off the window, right? You get mercury poisoning from fish. Um, I, I, what is it, genetic, that's, uh, I'm screwing this up, genetic, uh, you know, Tay-Sachs, right? Cystic fibrosis, genetic disorder, you're born with it, it's mom and dad's fault, not yours. Kinetic is, the, is all the accidents, traditional kind of trauma, microbic virus and bacteria. So I got AIDS here, I got car accidents, 
right? Environmental toxins and bad genes. That's largely stuff you can do nothing about, but there is one exception. There is something you can do that will make a difference in the outcome with each of these. And what is it? This again, be fit. But other than that, nothing. If you're fit, there are genes you have that you inherited, damn mom and dad, but they won't express because of your behavior. That's a good thing. There's genes you have that are turned off that will express, that you want turned on, that will express when you exercise. So we can affect our, our, our genetic expression through exercise. Toxicity, I think we all would believe that someone fitter is more likely to survive the same poisoning than someone that wasn't fit. You can imagine that, right? Kinetic, we hear stories from war of CrossFitters surviving things that people didn't survive prior to, which has really been interesting. We've heard a lot of that. Um, microbic, come on. What, you know, who's most vulnerable to viral pneumonia? That's right. That's right. So there is some protection here. Now, now this is interesting. In this area, by the way, this is where the miracles of medicine are. Now, look, and, and you know, Nobel Prizes in medicine, a lot of great stuff happens down here. And if you've got a genetic disorder that's making you sick, you need a doctor. If you've been poisoned, you need a doctor. Okay? If, you've been, if your arm's been cut off, you need a doctor, not burpees. <laughs> you, got, you got a nasty virus or flesh-eating bacteria, you need a doctor. You need a doctor. But the interesting thing about accidents, there's no real favorable accidents. I'd like to tell you there's good luck. They're like, oh, wow, he caught a bug and he's going to live to be 120. You got that fucking weird virus. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And so good luck is no accidents. And bad luck is accidents. Now, you'd think, what other kind of luck? Maybe you, you'd suppose you got something really horrible and you just happened to get the world's best doctor and she cured you. I'm going to share something with you. That doesn't happen. Um, you, you, the luck, that what would happen is you'd get a bad doctor misdiagnose you and kill you. That's the kind of luck that happens around doctors. You, you, don't, you go to the world's best doctor, it doesn't mean you're going to get a necessarily different outcome than you would going to a good doctor or an average doctor. It's the, it's the myth. It's we, we want so much for this to be in someone else's hands and then you want to imagine them to be perfect. They're not. We've been talking with this guy from the Mayo Clinic and he's, he's, he was visiting a patient in a major hospital in New York. The family had grave concerns about his progression of his disease and he's looking through his chart. They hadn't fed him in 21 days. Next door to that is a woman that they did an angiogram and they didn't fill the, the uh, syringe with contrast media and so they injected a 120 cc bolus of air into her and it did the equivalent of her having a thousand strokes in just a matter of minutes. Medical fuck up is the third leading cause of death in the United States. The two above that are chronic disease. So I got the two things doctors can't do anything about is number one and two. And then number three is like, being involved with them. Any doctors in here? <laughs> Physicians? It's okay if you are. I can come right up front. <laughs> doctors are like, are like lifeguards. What you're doing is like a swim coach. Now, when you're drowning, you don't need a swim coach. You needed one and you didn't get one. What you need is a lifeguard. And my physicians like that. We're very comfortable with that 
you know, we'll teach people how to swim, and when they don't pay attention and they go under, you take care of it. 70% of what kills people can be addressed by what you know, what you're learning this weekend. The 30% get fit and then don't think about it. I'm going to tell you, if you stand around worried about germs, worried about the tire that's going to come through the windshield and decapitate you, you're worried about breathing toxic air, and you're worried about your genes, you're wasting your time and you're mentally ill. It won't make you happier, it won't make you better, it won't make you safer, you're not going to live any longer. It won't be because you're staring for that tire coming through the windshield that when it comes, it doesn't hit you. We, we looked on YouTube and I played the game. You actually get to see a tire come through a windshield. It's horrible. And you know what? There wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have known to go left, right, up, down, stop, or go faster. It's just like, there it is, and it's in the front seat with you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it won't be that bad. It'll be really quick. And it's a whole lot better than this. It ain't going to happen anyways. Think of the things we worry about. And this is a 7 out of 10. Huge. Let's talk about medical expenditure. Uh, what is it, about $4 trillion a year? Is that what it is right now? Yeah. At, at what percent of your, of your health insurance premium do you think goes to the health insurance company for its overhead and its profits? Is that, yeah, that sounds reasonable, right? Five, it's two-thirds. Two-thirds of your premium goes to the health insurance company for its, for its overhead and profits. One-third gets spent on this shit, sick people. One-third. Of that one-third that's left, what percent goes to treating chronic disease ineffectively? It's 86% of the one-third. So that leaves 14% of the one-third goes to the stuff that medicine can actually do something about. And that's, and that's, and that's uh, 6.4%. Was that the number, Brian? No, no, it's 4.6 or 7. 4.6, 4.7%. Of your health insurance premium is not wasted. Because the part spent on chronic disease is a waste. I think the part the insurance company keeps is excessive. But that's okay. You know, I, you know can we change that? Not without starting a health insurance company. Um, but I tell you what, you can sure change your participation in the system by getting rid of all of this. What this sums to is what I'm calling a kinetic theory of health. Kinetic theory of health. And the idea is this, is that with the singular focus on kinematics, increasing work capacity, force distance in time, that is just get me a better Fran time. And all those things that would support a better Fran time, what would that look like? Meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, right? Our paleo diet will support it. Maybe some fish oil. Maybe. Making sure you get plenty of sleep, right? I'm kind of running out of things. Maybe some rock tape, huh? Anyone got to can't even sleep without that shit, right? We're out of stuff that matters. And with that singular focus of work capacity, what we do is we get a pass on chronic disease, and then you realize, Jesus, there's nothing really here to worry about. All the worry of lifestyle is gone. You have the lifestyle answer. Make it to the gym, eat like they tell you in there, enjoy yourself, and forget all the others. Forget everything else. And so ultimately, here's the magic formula for you. Fitness 
plus luck, and it can only be bad, equal health. And really what this looks like, it's the part you can do something about plus the part you can do nothing about is your outcome. Now, things you can do. Annual checkup, right? Well, here's the stats on it. It doesn't help. Long term, just having a long, hard look at it. What happens to patients that go to the doctor every year for an annual checkup versus those that don't? It's a wash. Early prevention, early diagnosis, I'm not convinced. In the case of cancer, anyone watch the latest in cancer? Anyone follow us? Anything about, know anything about cancer as a metabolic disease? Not a, not a disease of the nucleus? You follow any of that? Yeah. Um, by a guy by the name of Thomas S-E-Y-F-R-I-E-D, Seyfried, Seyfried, uh, PhD, not an MD wrote a book called Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. John Wiley and Sons is the author. It's $127. It's a textbook. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're wonkish at all and super serious about all that stuff we do, you have to read it. No matter who you are in here or why you're here, there's another book called uh, Tripping Over the Truth. Tripping Over the Truth by Travis Christopherson. That's a must read. That's a must read. Um, uh, Seafried's book came out in 2012, Tripping Over the Truth in 2014. Um, the cancer research world has been set on fire. Everything they've been doing is wrong because their theory of cancer is dead wrong. Dead wrong. And this isn't a crackpot. This is world-class frontline researchers coming up going, hey, you have it wrong. And I don't want to get too much into the what's wrong about it, but it's really interesting that um, James Watson, the Nobel laureate that discovered the DNA with a crick, he's come forward to and joined in and like, we all had cancer wrong. We all had it wrong. What's cool is that um, cancer is going to be as amenable to, uh, to uh, uh, treatment, uh, prevention, and reversal with what we're doing as is heart disease which is really, really exciting, really exciting. And again, what this sums to is that it's going to end up in the chronic disease category. 95% of cancers will then ultimately be chronic disease. You have a question about any of this? If someone had a really direct question about what I'm talking about, I'd go into more detail, but I don't, it's not, you're not going to be tested on it. <laughs> Please. Real quick, regarding the cancer, I mean, there's so many different variations of cancer. Is he talking more specifically about lymphoma, leukemia? All of them. All of them. Yeah, Otto Warburg got two Nobel Prizes. He went and received one. The second one, World War II, prevented him and Hitler from, <laughs> from getting his, his prize. But he got two Nobel Prizes in medicine in the 30s. And what he did was he showed that, <coughs> that the onco cell, the cancer cell, had lost differentiation and it could no longer metabolize in the mitochondria, it could no longer metabolize uh, proteins and fats to produce ATP. It could only metabolize uh, glucose. And, and it had a voracious appetite for glucose. Now, there are a lot of people that heard that and like, well, wait a minute, I don't need glucose and I can thrive on protein and fat and a cancer can't eat protein and fat, it needs the glucose. Wouldn't there be a therapy there? And I think there's people here that have heard me ask that question 
a uh, thousand times since knowing me over 20, 25 years. Fair enough, Brian. And uh, it, it turns out, yeah, that's exactly the reality of it. That uh, you can starve cancer through fasting. Doesn't the brain require glucose and oxygen? No, it, the brain will thrive on ketones. Okay. And in fact, um, the, the only cells that we have that, don't, that won't use ketones to produce ATP are cancer cells. They cannot. They don't like ketones at all. And the rest of your cells love them. The mitochondria love the, uh, ketones. They're easy to burn. They're clean burning. It's high energy production. And the mitochondria actually bathe in them and repair in, in, in that environment. So uh, here's where cancer is coming from. It's coming. It's an epigenetic stressor placed on the mitochondria. The mitochondria has such control over cell regulation that it is able to disorder the nucleus and do chromosomal damage. So the chromosomal damage, the genetic damage, um, and mutations are down road of the accident that's happening at the mitochondria. And what's happening at the mitochondria is you're destroying it with sugar. I mean, hello, isn't that cool? It's going to be just like heart disease, just like diabetes. And you know Alzheimer's is in there too, it's a chronic disease. It's fundamentally diabetes of the brain. The glycation, the glycosylated uh, tissues that we see in the kidneys, when you see it in the brain, it's Alzheimer's. You see it in the kidneys and you have end-stage renal disease. So, This is huge for us. This is huge for us. What it means is that in this, this crushed economy, it's estimated by CDC that we're going to have 100 million diabetics in the United States in, in, uh, in uh, 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 2050. 100 million diabetics, 100 million diabetics. That will affect everyone's dreams. Elon Musk wants to put people on Mars, right? No one's going to Mars if there's 100 million diabetics in this country. If there's 100 million diabetics in the United States and your 10-year-old daughter falls off her skateboard and breaks her arm, you will not be seen by a physician the day she breaks her arm. You will not. You won't go into an emergency room for something as simple as a broken arm. You will not. Because the emergency rooms are going to be hell. It will be like, the, like one of those TV shows with the zombies, right? I mean, it's, you, you, you will be seeing heart attacks on every corner. How many feet were amputated due to diabetes in California last year? What's the number, Brian? Do you remember? I don't know. 13,000. That's what I remember. Yeah, 13,000 feet were amputated to diabetes in California last year. There are probably five more have been cut off since I've been standing here. You don't want that, by the way. Sir. Greg, the CDC says that every 30 seconds, Yeah, don't worry about the thing coming through the windshield. <laughs> worry about sitting there watching the fucking TV, not going to the gym. Your favorite snack. You don't want chronic disease. Well, you know, as a culture, uh, we tend to live in fear of cancer and heart disease. Doctors don't fear cancer and heart disease. They fear diabetes. <laughs> Look, your dick doesn't work. You go blind. You get heart disease. You have strokes. They start cutting off parts. I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible. And really, nothing gets worse than dialysis. We finally got to get into a dialysis unit at the University of Virginia and get walked through and see the people under the treatment. Has anyone, anyone gotten close to that? I'll tell you right now, man, if I needed dialysis, they better be saying, dude, trust me, we're going to have a kidney for you fast. Because you know? <laughs> I'll do that for a week or two, maybe. It's worse than death. Worse than death. Horrible thing. It's terminal. You're terminal. 
Um, one out of four dialysis patients will have a fatal heart attack in the course of treatment in, within the five years of starting. Die on the, in there, sir. So, I think the, the question behind is, how do you change I don't want to change anyone's mind. I want to change their behavior. When I change their behavior, they will change their own minds. And then they'll come back and try and convince you. It's so fucking weird. But just get, <laughs> you just want to get them into the gym. Fuck them. They were just given, they were just awarded $15 trillion over the next, no, it's $5 trillion over the next 15 years. We'll go to five insurance companies. They're, all, they're good with all of this, believe me. So is Big Pharma. They're all good with all of this. They have no problem with the ineffective treatment of this thing, treatment symptomatically. The dream is that one day, every diabetic will have, bypa uh, have a gastric bypass surgery. I saw a guy from the Cleveland Clinic offer exactly that. One day, surgery for diabetes will be as common as it is for heart disease. That's the dream. So, Roger, I like, you want to talk these guys out of their new boat? <laughs> Here, I'll make it real easy. Here's all you have to do. All you have to do is just get people to come into the gym. And they're going to be safe from this. They're going to be on the island with you. They're going to pay you. And then and you can bring in another one and you'll make some more money. And all these people are saved. And the rest, fuck them. They're going to die. They're going to die. So, um, question my question is how do you transition somebody who comes into your box and wants to get you know, ready, bikini ready, or, you know, look like we're froning, how do you can transition them to this message? Look, if you come to me and you're 300 pounds, you want to look like froning, I'm going to pretend like we're going to pull it off, all right? <laughs> but I'm thinking, I'd just like to see your kids graduate from high school, but, like, fuck, let's go for it. I was sitting in a class at UCLA, and, and Gal says that goals have to be achievable. And I'm like, the fuck they do? I mean, at the time, Mary Lou Retton was a... Was a was a household name gymnast, right? Just an amazing athlete. And I knew that she had sold six million posters. So that means there's six million little girls and some weirdos that have her poster <laughs> over their bed. And they're all aspiring to be her. They're motivated by it. They, they believe it. They think and it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful illusion. Entertain it. For some, it'll be true. They will be that good. For all but five, they're just high as kites. But good, do it. No, the, the, value, of, the value of a goal is just it's strictly in its, its, its motivation. And so if you, you want to look like Froning, fine. I'm going to make you look like Froning. But I'm thinking what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep you from croaking. Get people in the gym. What is CrossFit? Come with me. What's this CrossFit thing? What are you doing Monday? Just get them started. The people, if, you, if you're, I was one of those I'm going to change people's thinking kind of guys, you know? And uh, the, the people that want to be convinced will never be convinced. You'll always be convinced. So remember, two-thirds of the money is thrown away. The one-third that's left, 86% goes to this shit, the stuff that you can fix. And then all you have to do is stand here and look out the window for that thing that's going to strike you. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Any other questions? I'm going I'm to wrap this up. This is important, right? Yeah. Fitness plus luck can only be bad is health. So <laughs> make the most out of this and you won't be seven out of 10 that die prematurely unnecessarily due to a lifestyle thing. In the end, chronic disease is a deficiency syndrome. A deficiency of what? That's right, that's right. I, I learned a new word, um, sedentation. It's kind of a hard one to find. You can get it in Webster's second and third, but not to any of the, 
What would sedentation be? Yeah, being sedentary. Sedentation coupled with malnutrition. And what malnutrition in particular might I be most interested in? The high carb, low fat diet. And that was really a smoke screen to cover the harm that sugar was doing. They thought if we can get you to quit eating fat, significantly reduce the calories, maybe the harm that sugar does won't be seen. Didn't work out. Okay? So that's state-sponsored malnutrition. Do you know that CrossFit, do you know that the National Institute of Health just revised its nutrition guidelines and they, and they did this in uh, like October, November 2015. And let me tell you what they did. They brought them to our 1990 standard. Wasn't that nice? So if you want to know what the NIH is going to be doing you know, 25, 30 years from now, it's this shit right here. That's the lead we have. Take advantage of it. You don't have to convince anyone anything. I tell you what, you know, once you've lost the weight and you feel better, then when you ask me what happened, you'll pay attention, it has meaning, and it really sticks. Until then, you're wasting your time. So it's not so much that you're trying to convince because I get it, you're not going to change the wrong. Our society in general, they trust doctors so much that if a doctor says something, then that's like the gold standard. Like, we believe in doctors. Like, doctors, doctors, doctors. The doctor said, oh, I hurt my knee, I gotta go to the doctor. Like, why do you go to the doctor if you hurt your knee? It doesn't make any sense. But then that's what they do. Our society tells them to do that. Our insurance company says, go to the doctor, 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 doctor. That was the stated goal of the, of the uh, Amer not the American Medical Association, but its forerunner. Its stated aims were one, to limit the number of doctors in practice, so this is like in the 1880s, limit the number of doctors in practice, and shut down medical schools to do so, and the other one to raise the price. Thing, but they wanted to establish themselves as, a, as an authority you know, in people's trust. Look, two-thirds of your health insurance premium is thrown away, um, and then 86% and then of the last third is spent on stuff that doesn't really have a significantly positive impact. And, and um, you know, there's so much that's broken, but actually it's working just right for those involved. Maybe, maybe we're getting screwed, but Big Pharma's cool. The insurance companies are happy. Doctors aren't happy, but hey, that's all right. No, um, this thing that looks broken was actually designed to work this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not, they're not, no one's too excited about anything changing, but it's going to have to for us because we're spending more than any country in the world and we're way down on the list for return now. So our, we're, we're way past the, uh, you know, where we need to be. One last question, I'm out of here. I just want to, um, you pointed out fitness plus a lot equals health and you know, prolonging your life, maybe not um, suffering the misfortune that people are doing to themselves and not ten people. Um, and I think the, the essence of this entire conversation is truly a quality of life um, on top of not just a duration of life. And you hit on it on so many different levels, right? And if, if we as an entity, which is the fitness community and specifically with the CrossFit, can, um, can share with our clients one person at a time and by example, we can say, hey, follow me on the island, let me show you a better life, and then build it one, you know, one, no doubt. one person at a time, Right? Maybe that's how we start to, to change the sure. mind well, look, within our little community. Rick, right? that's, this that's isn't a hypothetical. I have, we have 13,000 gyms right. and with two to four million people on the island right now. Right. And, and, and my gyms, our gyms are thriving 
not because of people's um, desire to be rich froning, and neither are they thriving because of our uh, impact on, on, on chronic disease, but uh, they're thriving because the end user, the customers, are extremely happy with the transformation. And it's part physical, it's part emotional, it's part blood lipids, it's part you know relationships, but it's all going on. And the end user is proud to the point of being really annoying, <laughs> right? We've all seen that. It's like it's you know that that yeah we're giggling. We've all seen it. It's actually part of the popular culture how annoying you guys are. You know, <laughs> you see the Simpsons episode where the kids got forced to force CrossFit, mandatory CrossFit as a punishment. <laughs> It's like, we're all just like, ah, we love it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's the results. Um, we've, we've probably poorly led this thing, but the results are so amazing that it's hard to screw up. <laughs> yeah, that's all that's going on. That's the miracle of CrossFit. It's not the marketing. It's not my impeccable charm. It's the results. <laughs> People are getting something that they didn't even know they wanted or needed. Do you get that, how amazing that is? You know, I said long ago that we got one of the only services you'd ever offer where you radically understate the benefit to keep your credibility. If I told you all the cool things I was going to do for you, Jolene, you'd walk away. You probably wouldn't believe it. It's hard to say with a straight face, but it's true. I'm really proud of what you're doing. How, how, affiliates, show of hands. Yeah. How many of you are there? Show, put your hand up higher. Yeah. You're everything. You're my game plan. I don't, there's nothing, there's nothing else. You know what I'm talking about, Rick? It's already happening, right? Yes, sir. You're already doing it. You're already doing it. Yeah, we've, uh, we've made a pretty good effort to put a different face on what's going on in the boxes. I don't know if you've noticed that or not with the, with the media. But uh, I had, uh, uh, what's his name, a big ugly guy from the movies? Tate Fletcher. You know Tate Fletcher, anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Tate, uh, Tate came up to me at the games, and Tate's the bad guy in every film that comes out right now because he looks like such a perfect bad guy. But he comes up to me at the games, and he put his arm around me. It was the first time I'd met him, and he pointed out on the field, and he asked me, he said, what defect of character would hold in the balance sending someone to these games with watching a 65-year-old grandmother get her first pull-up? And I go, yeah, what defect in the character would think it's the same? So Kevin. I appreciate you wanting to look like Rich. Um, I can introduce you to him. We do a lot of things, but let's just get started. And so you got a lot to do. I'll see you Monday morning. Yeah, just whatever gets them in, use it. They're, hey, the people that have been doing CrossFit six months are there for a different reason than the ones that started than when they started. And six months after they've started, you're in, they'll have a different reason for being there. It'll change. It'll grow with them. It'll mature with them. And in the end, it will be only about quality of life. By the way, when I talk about here, you know, look, I, I, I'm saying it's 70% die from that. Um, the truth is they're dying prematurely with this, which means that the 30% are living longer, and it gives them the opportunity to die from bad luck, <laughs> which is the ideal outcome. You get that? You'd like to live so old it took a tire through the windshield to knock you out. <laughs> All right? Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm a little rusty. I haven't done quite this in quite a while, so 
I screw it up, you may never know. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about CrossFit, I want to talk to you about fitness, and I want to talk to you about health, and then a kind of a unified sense of all of those and what place uh, CrossFit plays in, in health and fitness. And uh, so let's start talking about CrossFit. Um, the, the, the task, the goal initially was to uh, develop a fitness program that was broad, general, and inclusive. A fitness program, the specialty was not specializing. And a fascinating thing was we were told from the start, you can't do that. And that's all I needed to hear. Um, we did it. It's been done. It's too late now. But I'm going to give you a definition of, of CrossFit, uh, the, the uh, 10 second version that uh, satisfies no one but uh, says everything. And that is CrossFit is constantly varied, high intensity functional movement. And the operative pieces here that I want to go over are variance, intensity, and functionality. So CrossFit is constantly varied, high intensity functional movement. There's precision and accuracy in the statement, and I'm going to give you a sense of these words so that it has, has, has a solid meaning. But uh, if, if someone were to ask you what CrossFit is and you were to tell them, well, it's constantly varied, high intensity functional movement, I got, I got to let you know, it's, it's a bad answer, even though it's accurate, even though it's precise, even though it will measure up to, to uh, scientific rigor and muster and terms are well defined and it just doesn't, it won't impart anything of meaning to anybody, okay? Um, the best we do when someone wants to know what CrossFit is, I go like, what are you doing tomorrow at like 9 a.m.? And, and what I want to do is, is expose them to a workout and then maybe down on the ground looking over them, I go, hey, dude, that's constantly varied, high-intensity functional movement, and then, and then maybe work your way back in. But uh, don't, uh, don't fall for the trap of being too technical in your explanations, okay? Unless you're just kind of a wonkish person. Variance. As soon as you have a regimen, a routine, that routine, that regimen, so your uh, Monday back and buys, uh, Wednesday's legs, remember, you heard of this shit before, right? Um, <laughs> The, these routines, this regimen, this fixed workout pattern becomes a blueprint for what you're doing and its reciprocation or inverse is a blueprint for your deficiency. So as soon as you tell me exactly what it is you do, and boy, I've been doing this for years, it works for me, this is what I do on Mondays, this is what I do on Tuesdays, this is what I do on Wednesdays, I'm going to tell you what you suck at on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and every day of the week. What's not there is where you suck. And we want to get rid of that. So we want a constant variance. We're looking for a pattern that has no pattern. We can come back to that if you want. That's the easiest of these pieces. Intensity. Intensity's become a kind of a buzzword in the, in the fitness world. And there are two communities that, that talk about it with some regularity. And they represent the two factions that have really done much damage to the world at large's sense of fitness. And this damage, by the way, has permeated the university. It has permeated military training, law enforcement training, sports training. And here's the two camps. One is typified by runner's world, the long, slow distance endurance community, the triathletes. The other is the bodybuilders. 
And the idea that I'm going to bodybuild on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and run long distance Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday and be fit, bullshit. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. A, a partitioned or segmented training gives a partitioned or segmented capacity. And as soon as I have you do something like deadlift and then run, you suck. It's as if you've never deadlifted or run before. No matter how many days you ran, three days a week, and how many days you deadlifted, if I mix them the first time they're mixed, you fail. And we've done that over and over and over again around the world and seen it. Seen it. It's the way a lot of uh, military and law enforcement training has worked. I'm going to get strong on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I'm going to work my endurance Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and at the end I will be ready for anything. Yeah, you'll be ready for almost nothing except segmented training. Okay? Um, both communities, the long, slow distance, the endurance community, and the bodybuilders talk about intensity. For the, for the bodybuilders, intensity comes down to how, how red your face gets and how big of a scene you make and how much you grunt and and they go, wow, that's intense. That's Mike Menser doing high-intensity training. And it, was, and it was identified by commotion and exertion, and yeah, we kind of giggle at it. But I'm going to tell you that the, the endurance community's uh, uh, standard for intensity is just as bad, and that's heart rate. Heart rate is not a measure of intensity. It's not. It's a correlate, but it's a poor measure. And I say that because the exercise physiologists did us a good solid here. They've done very few. This is one they've done. Exercise physiologists, show a hand. Exercise phys people. Okay, sorry. Um, they've done next to nothing for us, and this is one of the things they've done for us that's wonderful. They've defined intensity, and intensity has been defined as power. It is exactly equivalent to the three-bar equal sign. It is defined as power. Defined as power. What is power? Power is force times distance divided by time. Force times distance is work divided by time, power. How heavy, how far did you move it, how long did it take? Okay, look at this, distance over time, that's, uh, that's uh, if directed, and this is directed, it's a vector, it's velocity, this is, this is fast and hard, if you want, is power. How fast, how hard, how fast and hard. Force, distance, time. So we don't have to look at heart rate if we know how to use to, and get a weak correlate. Look, on space shuttle launch, these guys are at max heart rate. That, that, that booster, that, 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 that uh, uh, system fires up. You know, there's that huge explosion and all that drama. And these guys are sitting there, guys and guys are sitting there near max heart rate. Is that because they're doing a lot, because it's intense? Only from the perspective of they've seen what happens when it blows the fuck up, right? That's, you know, that's a NASCAR. They're super high heart rates. It's the fear of the fireball again. If we get you out in the field and shoot at you, your heart rate goes through the roof, turns out. That's not intensity. Might be an intense experience, but it's not power. It's not because you've moved a large load a long distance and did it quickly. Now, if you can work if you, can, if you can work a scale, stand on it and get a number, if you know how to use a yardstick or a tape measure and determine distance, if you know how to use a stopwatch or a watch and get time, you can measure intensity with an uncanny accuracy and precision. I don't need a heart rate monitor. Got it? Don't need correlates. I can measure this shit firsthand and closely with accuracy and precision. That's intensity. So, and, 
And let me tell you something else about intensity too on the qualitative side. Make a big long list of things you want out of a fitness program. I don't care what, just write them down. All the things you hope to get out of a fitness program. And I'm gonna tell you, if these are things that a fitness program can indeed do for you, I don't have to see the list, keep it in your pocket, hide it from me. If indeed these are things that a fitness program can do for you, what I'm gonna tell you is that intensity is the independent variable that'll maximize the rate of return, the time rate of return on those things. I wanna get strong, I'm gonna tell you it's intensity. I wanna develop power, I'm gonna tell you power is intensity, how's that one for easy? I want to decrease my insulin resistance. You may not know it, you do. Intensity dependent. I want to uh, do better on my baseball team. It is the independent variable that will always be associated with optimizing the rate of return on your efforts. Now, why then isn't everyone exercising with intensity? How do we explain super slow and bodybuilding and endurance training, which are, by the way, marked physiologically by the absence of intensity? Why? Because it fucking sucks. Come on, it's, just, it's hard. It's hard. It's why someone plays the tambourine rather than the violin, why they major in sociology and not physics. It's hard. That's all you need to keep everyone away. That's, 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 the, that's the difference between people that are successful and unsuccessful. Successful people pursue hard things. Unsuccessful avoid them. There's a lack of success, fitness success, in long, slow distance endurance training. Sorry, doesn't work. It'll make you good at that, just like playing a tambourine will make you good at the tambourine, but it doesn't make you a musician. Bodybuilding, equally silly. Functional movement, another buzzword, man. I, I attended a, a symposium, two-day uh, symposium on functional training for the Marine Corps years ago at Quantico, and they brought in all the world's authorities on functional movement. And it was one of these things where after a while, it was just like blah, 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 functional, blah, 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 functional, functional, blah, 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 functional. I just sitting there, just hearing this functional. And I look around, I got the Pilates people, I got shiatsu folks, Swiss ball, rubber band. Everyone, they're nodding, everyone's happy. Everyone's hearing, finally, functional movements come to the Marine Corps. Isn't that exciting, you know? And no two people are hearing the same thing. If I say functional and everyone here nods, bobblehead doll style, and you're all like, yeah, thank God, finally, and you all are working off a different de definition, I'm not saying anything and you're hearing nothing. I got a definition of functional movement. And here's the thing about definitions. They have utility or not, but they don't really come in flavors good or bad, right or wrong. Once I say a bachelor is an unmarried man, that's just how that is, it's an a priori truth. It's just defined that way. Now you might want to pick a different term or whatever. When we talk, when we communicate, the first step in doing anything that looks like science is, is this taxonomical phase where we have to come up with some terms and agree so that when I say functional movement, the Swiss ball people aren't going, yeah, cool, and the rubber band people are saying, finally, and the Pilates people are going, oh, this is a relief, when each of us has something entirely different in mind. I'm going to tell you what functional movement is. Functional movements are those movements that are categorically unique in their ability to express power. How's that for easy? I can measure that with what? Tape measure, yardstick, right? Watch. And a scale or reading the weights on the, on the you know, look at this thing. Uh, this says 45 pounds. I did it. There. Was that hard? Functional movements. These are those movements that are categorically unique 
in their ability to express power. That is, they have the decided advantage of allowing us to move large loads, long distance, and quickly. And I can resolve this, at one of the favored units here is foot-pounds per minute. Force distance time. 33,000 foot-pounds per minute is a horsepower. Horsepower is a measure of power. The functional movements are categorically unique in their ability to demonstrate, to express horsepower. They let me move heavy things a long distance and quickly. Curls, lateral raise, not very far, not very heavy, not very fast. Squatting, deadlifting, cleaning and pull-ups, lot of load, long distance and fast. And when you do the math, you find that there's fundamentally no overlap between the family of non-functional movements and those that are functional in their ability to express power. We've got some funny little things in here in calf raise that start to look in terms of their expression like functional movements and really it's just a follow through movement on something that is truly functional. We'll come back to that. Interesting too for those that are kind of follow Grok in this on a tech level. We had two, two things that we, were, that we were very fond of in our repertoire and our arsenal that didn't meet some of our kind of sense of functional and we, we've been through this where we talk about universal motor recruitment patterns. They're built into your DNA. These are also ineluctable certain facts of functional movement. They have some characteristics outside of their definition. You following me? That is their core to extremity. They originate with large muscle groups that move large loads and slowly and then you finally end up at some kind of terminus like whoo, like throwing a ball. So we radiate from core to extremity in this wonderful wave of contraction that go, starts with large force uh, uh, um, and, a, and, a, and a, uh, moved a short distance and done so uh, very slowly where it finally ends up with where we have low force and we've gone a long distance and this thing is super fast. Kind of got my T's a little weird here, but don't worry about it. Um, you know, if you strapped a scale onto the back of a truck and we were going to push this truck as fast as we can by pushing on the scale duct tape to the back, right? When would the force be greatest? When would the scale show the greatest weight? Right out of the gate, right? You might even put 300, 400 pounds, Dave Lipson, 500 pounds before the thing starts to roll. And once it's going so fast, he can't keep up with it, what's the scale showing? Next to nothing, right? This is this wonderful symphony of movement where we go from, again, large force to low force with the, with the velocity um, increasing, 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 and the total power output rises too. I, we don't have to get too far down that road. So, variance, intensity, and functionality. Let me just cover some of these characteristics of functional movements. They're built into your DNA. They're part of who you are. If I were to present a schematic of a human being to select, check this out, recognize that? We can put arms on it, put a head on her and some hair, but that doesn't matter. If we were just to look at the, at the gross anatomy, at the levers and the, and the muscles, you know, glute, hamstring, quads, see that? We're making someone. Abs, okay. If you were to just present a schematic of someone 
to any kind of analytical system or one of these Star Trek-like brains in a vat in a foreign galaxy that has a life form entirely different than anything you knew and just present the schematic form with the levers and muscles and show this body and ask this thing, how would this organism with maximum efficacy and efficiency pick something from the ground? Check it out, there's your answer. Deadlift. How would you take something from the ground and get underneath it so you could go overhead? Clean would be the answer. You following me? These things are part of who you are. We look at your gross anatomy and what we see is that the functional movements are the way you will get work done, force times distance, in the least amount of time. They are efficient and effective. They're universal motor recruitment patterns. They're found everywhere, everywhere in the world. On a construction site, in combat, in sport, homemakers, mama moving kids around, feeding them and clothing them, functional movements, it's there. By contradistinction, non-functional movements, here's a classic. What's this shit? Anyone ever done that on a job site? Is it essential to raising children? Would you see that in combat? Hopefully not. That's a gym move. Now the crazy thing about the current culture is that what we see, you can sit there in Gold's Gym for hours, I've done it for years, and watch and go days at a time without seeing functional movement except for the people coming in, sitting their bags down, leaving, talking to one another. And as soon as they start working out, I get this shit. These movements are almost always compound movements. They're multi-joint. You got one joint moving at a time, People go, no, it's drinking. Bullshit, you don't drink like that. It's got this piece to it. And it's not a lateral raise either. It's a, no, there's, there's, there's no utility. There's no, there's, there's uh, uh, no functionality in single joint movements. There's very little functionality, very little functional movement in bodybuilding. Not enough, for sure. I, I, I can define CrossFit, but when I speak to its purpose, when I start talking about it was designed to create a broad, general, inclusive fitness, I, we all understand broad, we all understand general, but fitness is one of these words like functional where everyone nods their head and thinks they know what, what they're talking about and we don't have agreement. And so I thought, well, geez, I'm going to just go to the experts. We'll look to Mel Sif and the other gurus, you know, Zatsayorsky, and let's find out what fitness is. And I found there's nothing there. Nothing that would meet the rigor of, of science. That is, give me something that I can measure with accuracy and precision and go, yep, that's fitness. Couldn't find it. So you're like, well, that sucks because fitness is important and anything important needs to be measured, right? If it's really important, you gotta measure it. Well, what's the first step in measuring anything? I won't make you guess. It's you gotta define, you gotta delimit the class of things you're gonna measure. Suppose we all go outside and like, hey, let's count Butterflies. We're biologists now all of a sudden, right? We're going to count butterflies. And it turns out that Chad's counting horse flies and rats, and, and Chris is doing moths and crickets, and you've truly got, you know what, what the butterflies are. We don't have anything yet, right? It's important. We've got to measure it. We can't measure it until we can define it. There wasn't a good definition, not one that a scientist wouldn't laugh at, of fitness. And the most egregious, I mean, it's just, it's an abomination was the uh, uh, American College of Sports Medicine's definition of fitness. Several hundred words long in like one, maybe two sentences, and you could tell what happened. They passed the hat around, and everyone got to put some shit in it, and then they just threw it all up there, and there it is. And it includes vitality and well-being and sense of self and just a bunch of crap. Energy. And they're like, wow, we don't really mean energy, energy, we mean it's a different energy. So, guy on meth. 
Okay, he's fit, right? Lots of energy. No, it's, it's embarrassingly deficient, not at all the rigor that needs to be introduced to have an intelligent conversation about fitness. Profoundly absent. So, young guy, younger guy, had to sit down and kind of figure out how to do this thing. And we knew that it needed to be broad, general, inclusive. We knew that fitness was important. We wanted something to measure. And we came up with a handful of operational tests, if you will. Weak definitions, but operationally uh, uh, valid tests for seeing if we were on track for not. And what, this is part of it here. This is the first model, the 10 general physical skills. Cardiorespiratory endurance, stamina, strength, flexibility, power, speed, coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy. And there are the definitions of those. This is the work of uh, Jim Colley and uh, Bruce Evans of Dynamax, the people that made our, our favorite medicine ball over there, especially the 20-pounder, huh, kids? Um, is he, anyone still talking to him? Does he still hate the 20-pound ball? Do you know that? And nobody knows anymore, huh? Boy, he, I, I, the, the, the shipping charge, I think, was the same on all the balls, and the CrossFitters only wanted the 20-pounder, and I think we were driving them out of business getting the 20-pound ball. So he decided the 20-pound ball is probably the cause of cancer, heart disease, and tuberculosis globally, and really got weird in trying to get people to not buy the 20-pound ball. So, little history there. Um, so here was the thought, that he or she was as fit as you were balanced and, and, and you had as much breadth and depth as you had in those capacities. Kind of a thought experiment. So, and what I could do is I could imagine at the end of the day losing the game, failing at a mission, or, 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 or uh, losing your life due to, a, due to a, a, a failure in speed, or flexibility, or accuracy, or stamina. They were all critical. They're all critical. And you were deficient or defective to the extent that you didn't have those. The first four, cardiorespiratory endurance, stamina, strength, and flexibility, those are organic adaptations. And what we're talking about here is the facets of physiological adaptation. This was an operational model attempting to define or describe, delimit um, our, our definition of fitness. And, uh, and these first four adaptations are what we call organic. They come with a measurable histological change. There's a change in tissue. Your body tissues themselves have been transformed. The bottom four, coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy, those are neurological adaptations. This is rewriting of code. We use this example um, in the early days in Santa Cruz because we had a large contingent of folks out of the Silicon Valley and they really got the difference between hardware and software. And those first four are hardware mods and those last four are software mods. These, adapt these first four adaptations occur within the t body tissues and we can measure those changes. The last four happen between the ears. The adaptation is within the brain. The middle two, numbers, numbers five and six, those are combinations. They come about through a histological change, an organic change, and a neurological change. That's a hardware and a software mod on the organism. Okay? So what we looked at here was breadth and depth in the various facets of physiological adaptation to a training program. Those are all the things that can really happen to you when you train. That's it. Second one. We had three models here. The second one was 
which is kind of a thought experiment. We're saying, take a hopper. That's a hopper, I'm an artist. You turn the handle and the drum turns, you know what I'm talking about? Like for a lottery or something, you load it with ping pong balls. And what I want to do is I want to load into this hopper as many skills and drills, as many training modalities and exercises as I can think of. And so Katrin might say, I want to put a marathon in there, put it in. And Chad might say, I want a deadlift. And you might want to put in Fran, and you might want to put in, so I'm not going to deny anything. We can even put some Pilates and stir frying and a walk in there. I don't care. Put anything you want in there. The more, the better. <coughs> and what I'm saying is that we're going to turn the handle, we're going to line people up, and he or she, who on average, statistically, does best, is fittest. Cool thing about this, it really, there's really enormous utility here, simple as this is. And in fact, our first games was run just this way. Uh, Dave's family on the, on the at Rancho de Castro had, a, had a, a peanut hopper, and we put ping pong balls in there with, with reps and, and sets and exercises and turn this thing. Someone just found the original ping pong balls, huh? Yeah. Oh, those will be in the CrossFit Museum for sure. Yeah, here's the cool thing about this. Is as you load the hopper, there's people that are going, oh dear God, don't let it be fill in the blank. Y'all get that? You know what it is you wouldn't want to see come out, right? And you know what it is you'd like to see come out. Here's the deal. To advance your fitness, nothing would be more efficient, more effective, a better spend of your time than to chase headlong that thing you most don't want to see come out of the hopper. That's where you need to be. That's what you need to be focused on. If to the extent you're going to specialize in anything, find out what it is you don't want to see come out of the hopper in a competition of your peers, of your friends, and spend time on it up until you're now hoping it comes out. And then stop. Pick the next thing. There's something. Work it from the bottom. Work it from the bottom. Very important. Very important concept. Here we're looking at breadth and depth of of training modality of skills and drills and physical capacity as opposed to physiological adaptation. But very similar notion. You following me? There was a third model. And this one was about, so we had the first one was, was about the breadth and depth of the facets of physiological adaptation. And the second one is about breadth and depth of capacity and skills drills and training modalities, actually real-world tasks. Following me? This third one is about bioenergetics, and it turns out there are three metabolic pathways. They found a fourth, and I'm sure they keep looking, they'll find a fifth and a sixth. I got power on this axis, uh, time on this one, 10 seconds, about two minutes, and beyond. And here we have the phosphocreatine pathway, the glycolytic pathway, and the oxidative aerobic one. These two, these short end ones, are anaerobic by definition, and this one's aerobic. And our thought was that fitness would come through breadth and depth in your balance of capacities across a wide time domain. Easy. So suppose they find and have other pathways. Keep finding them forever like planets, right? Who cares? Does it change the model? No. I need capacity in all of them. We actually developed 
substantial capacity in hundreds of thousands of athletes in a pathway that had not been known to exist. How do you like that? Nothing special, it was easy. When you train across a broad time domain, you're gonna hit pathways hitherto unknown. We didn't need to know about the bioenergetics, how it was the ATP was produced to find out. So here's a came go, hey dude, this dude Brooks at Cal, he's showing you're right. I mean, she, no, no he's not, who the fuck, what are you talking about? Who's showing me right about what? Yeah, your program works. No, dude, it works because of the results. Not because some guy in a lab coat found a metabolic pathway that produces ATP. That's their understanding of how this works. Justification for nothing in my mind. We're way more pragmatic than that. We're way more scientific than that is the truth too. We'll come back to that if we have to. So I've got this bioenergetics or ATP production. And I don't care if you know what ATP is or not. It's the currency for all energy exchange within life as we know it. It's what produces energy. And what we wanted is breadth and depth of these capacities. Of, of the time match on ATP reduction. Here are skills and drills, here are facets of physiological adaptation. Kind of a shotgun approach, but, but interesting. Really shaped a lot of what we did and a lot of what we thought about. Now there was a, another piece to this that in the original document here, and this stuff was in the early CrossFit Journal, I believe in 2002. Um, there was another piece that was, that was uh, kind of a casual observation that had a, a really strong impact on our thinking. And what we had observed, what I had noticed, was that there's a continuum that went from, from being sick or pathological to being well or normal and to being fit. And that just about anything that I could measure, whether it was of interest to the exercise physiologist or to your physician, sat well-ordered on this continuum. There is a blood pressure that's normal. There's a blood pressure that's sick. There's a blood pressure on the other side of normal from sick that's indicative of someone being fit. This is true of body composition. It's true of glucose uh, intolerance or tolerance. It's true of muscle mass. It's true of strength. I do not know of a metric where it is not true. It's true of HGA1C, whatever the hell that is. It's very important, but it also sits on here. We, don't, we haven't found something we can measure where the fit values, those, those values that are measured in those that are fit, we haven't found a value where it doesn't sit on the other side of some pathological value with some normal value in between. And this suggests a lot of things. For one, listen, I was just talking this morning with our doc that I, forever when I was in Santa Cruz, I test my blood pressure every morning. I was like 105 over 46. Every fucking morning, it was like just, I could just tell. There it is, 105 over 46. 120 over 70 is normal. And let's say Will was talking this morning about someone being at uh, uh, 240 over 160. That's fucked up. That's hypertensive in a big, bad way, right? Now, see if you follow my logic here. If you've got one of these blood pressures indicative of someone being seriously fit, isn't that a hedge against being sick? And if you've got this blood pressure, don't you have to be normal before you can be sick? 
If your blood pressure is 105 over 46, you may someday be hypertensive, but I'm telling you, long before you get hypertensive, you're going to be normal. And this is true for body fat, it's true for flexibility, it's true for strength. You following me? It's true for all things we can measure. What this suggested, and I wrote it at the time, was that if all these things we can measure sit well-ordered between where normal values sit between pathological values and fit values, it suggests that what we're looking at here is varying degrees of the same measure. We're looking at some reality, some something, and this is, this is a lot of it, and this is, this is regular amounts of it, and this, is, and this is none of it. Roll the clock forward uh, seven or eight years, and I'm at a certain Brooklyn, and I'm watching Pat Sherwood, your flow master today, I'm watching Pat deliver this material, and he's coming up, and you know, at first we'd had four models, and this one, but it's not really a model, it was different, it was kind of a casual observation, I'd call it now, but I was never sure how I could integrate this understanding that felt profound with what it is that we were doing here. It kind of, it, it just, it, 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 felt, it felt weird to me, and I'll, I'll come back to that and show you how this resolved, but in the meantime, in watching Pat deal with this, um, I, had a, I had a cute understanding uh, that had come on the heels of another understanding. Let me just go back to these three and show you something really cool. Is there a way to unify these concepts in something that is readily measurable with some accuracy and precision? And the answer is yes, it looks like this. If I put on this axis power, and I put on this axis duration of effort or time. And say I get out here at three minutes and I pick something that takes three minutes long. How far can you row in three minutes? And I give that a data point. What, what's the average power output on three minutes? And then I say let's do 165 clean and jerk. How many reps can you get? And by the way, on this axis here for power, I can either make this relative, that is, first place, second place, third place, fourth place, you know, etc. Or I can resolve it down to foot pounds per minute. So I can do this ordinarily or cardinally. Don't worry about that. But I'm going to measure, I'm going to measure the output on this axis and I'm going to measure the duration of effort here and I can do a handful of different things and take their average. And I can do this at 10 minutes. And I can do this at 20 minutes. And I can do this at 5 seconds. You follow me? and take a whole bunch of these data points, the more things I come at each of these distances and find their average, find their average, I can get a graph. What I've done is I'm going to measure a whole bunch of different things from short duration to long duration and measure their power output. This, by the way, is going on in the relative sense exactly what the open is in the games. We're getting a relative power measure against broad time domains. Here's what we're saying. This is, this is work capacity, power, measured across broad time and modal domains. Remember I told you force times distance divided by time, that's power, right? This piece up here is work, work capacity. How much work and how much time, what does it resolve to empower? I can graph that, it turns out. Nobody can stop me. We can graph that. What I'm going to tell you is that the area under your curve is your fitness. And I'm going to tell you that this includes this definition, this definition, and this definition. It's embedded in there. 
with accuracy and precision. It's a huge eureka moment. Lon Kilgore at, uh, at uh, uh, Wichita State University in Texas, Wichita Falls, says that this is the world's first definition of fitness that meets scientific rigor. It's a whole lot better than vitality, energy, sense of well-being, right? Able to do your daily tasks. I have accurate and precise measures that will meet scientific standards for measuring fitness in the relative sense, like in the games. Look, your curve, the other guy's curve, the other guy's curve, I got first place, second place, third place. You with me? That's all that's happening in these placings we're adding. We're looking at the relative power output across broad time. Have you noticed that these are all AMRAP? Have you noticed that we've got some that are short duration and some long? Here's the line. Fitness is work capacity measured across broad time and modal domains. Sounds like a lot, but we can do this. Work capacity, the power output, measured relatively or in absolute terms. Measured across broad time from short duration and long duration modal domains to a whole bunch of different shit at each distance. There. Isn't that easy? That's fitness. Now, I'm watching Pat up there work with this continuum that I told you about that was always kind of perplexing. How does that fit in? That is, how is it that these pieces feel, all these things we can measure, sit on this continuum from, from sick to well to fit. And remember, well being normal, I like that because we all know that the super fit are abnormal, right? How is it that these things all sit well ordered? If this is all one and the same and we're looking at different degrees of the same entity, it came to me in this blinding flash that this piece here that is power and that is duration of effort or time, our work capacity curve, that if I come out here on a third axis, and I hope this looks like a corner of a room to you. Kinda? Chris, was that? Nah, not really. You see that? You see the three dimensions here, guys? Okay. That if I put age on this axis, and if at every point in your life I measure your fitness, and I get a curtain eventually that comes out here, and I go from a from a from a, uh, a, a, a two-dimensional piece to a three-dimensional solid, are you seeing that? That's a curtain, if you will, coming from the corner of the room, drooping down. And what I'm going to tell you is the volume under this curve is health. We have here an accurate and precise measure of health. Now, does this work? Is it intuitively gratifying? Let's go back to the two-dimensional model in fitness. We're saying that your, your area under the curve is your fitness. Now, fitness has been other places and times measured by things like lactate threshold, right? VO2 max, other things. Let me ask you this. And let's use the, our assumption of looking for a broad, general, inclusive fitness. Would you take a decrease in work capacity for an improved lactate threshold? No. No. Here's what I'm telling you. You won the VO2 max race, but you, but you lost the game, the race, the meet, the competition, the games. Anyone that looks for, for wants a biometric like lactate threshold and would prefer that over performance doesn't understand fitness. Is there anything that you would take and forget money and, and 
other things. Is there, is, there, is there something that you would take in lieu of work capacity? As an athlete looking for a broad general inclusive fitness and ability to what, we, we, and by charter, we're looking for something that would help people with the unknown and the unknowable. A training regimen that may not be perfect for anything, but in the union sense, in the broadest sense, may be perfect for everything. You kind of follow the vernacular, it's a little fuzzy, but it's, when it sits with you, it sits with you. I wouldn't. Let's take this out to three dimensions. If this curtain doesn't fall much, what I'm telling you is that at 90, imagine someone has an inordinate work capacity. They can move large loads, long distance, and quickly. Would you trade that capacity for improved blood pressure? There's only one place where you would if your blood pressure was so fucking bad that death was imminent. But I'm still moving good, doc. That's okay, sit down. But that really doesn't happen to people. That's not the problem. That's not the problem. Here's what the trade-off really looks like. Would you like to be fully functional? And look, I'm using that in our sense again. That is the ability to move large loads long distance quickly. To be capable within this realm of movements that are categorically unique in their ability to design to, to, to deliver power. Would you trade that for improved biometrics. I, I, I picture this, imagine you're 90 years old and you get on your Harley and you go pick up your girlfriend, you ride 100 miles of the rodeo and as you're parking a bike, someone says something to him, kicks a little dust on and you kick his 20 year old ass. Enjoy the rodeo, toss some beers, <coughs> go back home and what a great night. Would you trade, and, but suppose they say, well, but yeah, but you got high blood pressure and your cholesterol is a little off and I don't like your triglycerides or your HGA1C and five other things are wrong that you've never heard of. And I can prove all of those, but suppose here's the trade-off. You're going to be sitting in a convalescent hospital watching Oprah all day and being fed fucking green jello off a plastic spoon. But, you, but, you, but you, the biometrics are good. We got your blood pressure under control, your cholesterol under control. I hope you see a conflict of approaches or, or realities here, because it's real. This is, a, this is an accurate and precise estimation of health. It's a measure. You could pick others. Go ahead. But I think that most of us, if we really start thinking about it, what you really want to be able to do throughout your life is maintain functional capacity. And that things like cholesterol and blood pressure and triglycerides and other things that, are, that the doctors are looking at and talking to you about are useful to us only if they avoid a sudden demise that stops me from doing those functional things I want to do. Ultimately, the name of the game should be for most of us to stay out of the convalescent home as long as possible. To do all those things you want to do as long as possible. And a definition of health that doesn't include that has fallen short of the mark. We got one here that not only does not fall short of the mark, but is exactly the mark. I want functional capacity. We've got a piece here, we've got this relationship now where fitness, and I, I like this, that fitness is to health, let's do that, is to health in the way that weather is to climate. You got that? Just because it, it rained one day in San Diego doesn't mean that's the climate, right? That's the weather at that moment. 
the weather is a snapshot of the climate. Your fitness is a snapshot of your health. If you can maintain your fitness into advancing years, you have, for our standards, health. And it can be measured. And these other things, again, are going to be important. Things that your doctor tells you important, I guess they must be. He tells me they are. Triglycerides, cholesterol, blood pressure. I'm going to tell you they're important only if they're predictors. Predictors of my work capacity. The bummer about high blood pressure is that it correlates with, with uh, 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 sudden death and, and, cardi and coronary heart disease and cardiovascular disease. That's what's significant about it. And I don't want high blood pressure, but I don't know, I don't know how many things it's causal of. We can name some. Triglycerides even fewer, cholesterol fewer yet. But these are correlates, correlates. And what we want to do, and it comes right back to this now, what I want to do is I want to look at all of these things that like, like blood pressure, cholesterol, strength, speed, power, your Fran time, your blood pressure, your HGA1C, whatever that is, insulin resistance, whatever that is, glycosylated hemoglobin, whatever that is. I want to look at all those things and I want to figure out which of these things are truly best seen as independent variables and which would be best seen as dependent variables. Which of these things are truly causal of a decline in work capacity and which of these things are really indices, indicators, or correlates or symptoms of? We all know the problem with the runaway train, right? There was a classic example, I think it was in Rialto, California, of a train on a downgrade that lost brakes and ended up going 100 miles an hour and derailed and destroyed a neighborhood, broke an underground gas main. You ever seen that on TV? It was a really cool show. Did you see that, Dave? And a few, a few days later, the neighborhood burst into flames because it had broken this gas main and they didn't know. Runaway train's a problem. You've got that? And we can use that as an analogy for things amiss in your health. What, blank stairs, come on. Fast train can't stop. Problem, right? Okay. Um, is the problem the speedometer? Because I can take a hammer to the speedometer, break the glass and gear and push the thing back to zero there, I solved the problem. Didn't help, huh? You're not happy? You look out the window, we're still going 100 miles an hour. The question needs to be asked, is are triglyceride, elevated triglycerides, elevated blood pressure, out of control HGA1C, are these things the speedometer or are they the train going too fast? That needs to be asked. It's not. It needs to be answered. It's not. Check it out. We're going to answer it. We're going to answer it. And here's the CrossFit hypotheses. That what you had for dinner, the way you eat, and what activities you engage in, what your movement patterns are, what exercise you get, are truly the independent variables, the causal factors that determine all this other nonsense that everyone's looking at. Triglycerides, cholesterol, HGA1C, blood pressure, body composition, coronary heart disease, obesity, diabetes, cancer. You following the bouncing ball here? That diet and exercise are the things you address to fix those other things. This is the brakes on the runaway train. And it, 
a medical solution to an impending, a syndrome XC kind of impending doom as, as evidenced by some of these correlates, these biometrics, these findings that we get from a blood draw and, and sphygmomanometer, blood pressure, and from body composition analysis, all those things, that those things are indeed the symptoms of a metabolic derangement that is caused almost entirely, certainly for the overwhelming majority of us, through bad diet and not the right kind or enough exercise. But this needs to be demonstrated. It needs to be demonstrated. And it's funny that we have just come to see in the past year after, and you, and you had to look at things this way to see the opportunity that sat before us. But the cool thing is that what sits before us right now is an opportunity to figure out what admixture of lifestyle considerations that would include eating and exercise coupled with your engagement with traditional medicine, interventional medicine, yields the best life. Measurable again by what? Work capacity measured across broad time and modal domains throughout your years. Health. Health. And this is a huge, huge bit of turf. And what it does for all you trainers out there, it puts you in the position of really being the sole arbiters, the, 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 the delivery vehicle for preventive medicine. Here's how we kind of sum this up. And they developed this with our doc. Will Wright, raise your hand. Interventional radiologist, lifelong friend of mine, and on the CrossFit staff is our doctor heading our medical sciences division. Your doctor is a lifeguard, not a swim coach. So he's sitting there in his chair, his lifeguard station, someone's gone down three times, he goes into action, right? Do you need a swim coach at that moment? No, you needed a swim coach. Now you need a lifeguard. You guys are the swim coaches. And CrossFit is a technology house, a lifestyle technology house, that is going to mine best practices from this community to find out what it is that maximizes work capacity across broad time and model domains throughout your ages, health, health. And when you're in crisis, you need a doc. You come to me, we throw, in Santa Cruz, we used to, we used to it, 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 in our, at the end, we quit doing it because I didn't need to test your blood pressure. I could tell you what it was by looking at you and working with you. But uh, um, we, would, we would cuff people and get, and get blood pressure on them. And if you'd come to me and I'd thrown that on and you were 220 over, over 160, I'm like, well, what you need is paleo and, and Fran. No, in fact, that's exactly what you don't need is Fran. What you need to do is you need to get to, you need a lifeguard. You need to get to the hospital. You need antihypertensives. And in conjunction with that, if we can stabilize that blood pressure, now we need to talk about swim lessons. You've been pulled from the water, we've, we've pumped the water out of you, slapped you around, brought you back, big cheers. Now let's talk about swim lessons. Where do you get the swim lessons? At the hospital? No. They don't, they don't have no fucking idea what to do there. None. We ask cardiologists, two most important tools, tools in cardiology, it's defibrillation, Clear, right? You know that you've seen it. And, and venous graft bypass surgery. What's the preventive value of either? So you're like, hey, I don't want heart disease, so I'd like to be defibrillated you know, every Thursday at 7 o'clock. You know, just stand clear, give me the jolt. 
Or let's just do a bypass now. I know my arteries are clear, but let's, 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 let's pull some plumbing out of my legs and put it in my chest so I, I, I can live longer before the knee. Now, there's no preventive value. There's no preventive value. You're that. You're that. Now, what are we going to do to mine this? It's kind of interesting. It's, uh, it's been the thing that I've spent the most time on for the past uh, 18 months. And here's what it looks like. The affiliates are trainers. We've got 40,000 trainers out there and about 3,000 affiliates. They are taking people through exercise. They are telling them what to eat. And they are measuring, testing, and developing their performance. The work's been done. And there isn't an affiliate out there that doesn't know that you can't have been doing this for 18 months without someone telling you, hey, you won't believe it. I didn't tell you, my triglycerides are high, now they're not. I used to have high pretension, now I don't. I'm a lot thinner than I used to be. The experiment's being conducted. We're already engaged in altering work capacity across broad time and modal domains, and we are doing this through recommendations on diet, and exercise, and, we're, and the affiliates, in very many cases, are measuring the results. It's what they do. But we want to do better than that. We want to do better than that. So we went to work, and we hooked up with a group of guys that we talked into leaving SAIC. And at SAIC, Brian, give them a quick spin as to what SAIC is. There's some spooky shit over there. What? The number 10 defense contractor. Number 10 defense contractor. Louder beam, can't hear. Yeah, their, their big customers have three-letter agency names, like NSA, National Reconnaissance Office. Uh, they build all kinds of spooky high-tech. They're in La Jolla, California. you got 40,000 employees, maybe two-thirds of whom have PhDs in various fields. And a lot of them have walk-around clearance at the, at the highest levels of government. Walk into CIA, walk into NSA, walk into the White House, and they do cool stuff. We took two guys from that and formed an outfit called Fugue Sciences Group, of which CrossFit is a partner. And these guys are Cliff Lewis, PhD physicist, who, uh, by the way, was the uh, uh, lead, uh, was the uh, uh, keyboardist in Femme Fatale. Kind of trippy, weird even. <laughs> I don't know if he likes us telling that. And, and Bronze Larson, who's a PhD mathematician, and Sassinio Baldus, who's a world-class uh, coder. Only got a master's degree, but we're gonna keep him anyways. And that in conjunction with uh, some other staff, we've got a CIO in Ben Elizer. Ben's here. Ben, show your hand. That's Ben, our CIO. We have a CTO in Eric Bodner. And these guys are power players from industry, from Silicon Valley, that have, that have been involved in world-changing tech projects. And we have a chief sciences officer in my father, Jeff Glassman, who is program manager for the weapon system that were on the F-14, 15, and 18. He's a PhD uh, systems engineer and a chief medical officer in uh, Will Wright here, Dr. Wright, and a host of others and a volunteer staff of physicians. I think our roster might be a couple of hundred strong right now. And a partnership with Beyond the Whiteboard. You know those guys? How many here know Beyond the Whiteboard? Yeah, 
They're bringing them in-house. We're merging with them. they got a million workouts in the can right now. And what we're going to do is start mining this data, and the process is already underway, and we're going to find out what admixture of what you had for breakfast, what workout you did yesterday, what your fran time is, and cholesterol, blood pressure, triglycerides. We're going to answer the question, which of these things is causal, which is correlative? Which is what made the train run away, and what is that's just an indicator of that runaway? And this is a revolutionary, extraordinary project. And it puts the affiliates and each of our trainers into a whole different space, a space that no trainer has ever been before, not quite cognizantly. Now what's cool is those of you that are training, my affiliates, the, you know, the, the people that are, that, are, that are here doing the work, doing the training, they, they know of this impact, they know of this relationship. But the rest of the world doesn't. And we don't have the scientific footing to propagandize this thing and take it home to the masses and to give the trainers the confidence they need and to prove to the rest of the world that your best chance at a healthy life involves not three time a year doctor visits, unless you're in some acute crisis, but lies in getting yourself to a CrossFit gym and learning functional movement and learning how to eat right. That's your best bet. And it may just be that we never put the docs out of business. We don't want to do that. But what I'd like to do is create a business where they're applying, where Will's doing what he does, not on 45 and 50 and 55-year-olds, but where his patient load looks like 90, 95 and centenarians. Just move it down the road. You see the value in this? And we're going to bring that to you. We're a couple of million dollars into this and committed well beyond that.